listening to Civil Politics on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM in Northampton, Massachusetts. If you'd like to learn more about the show, please visit civilpoliticsradio.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash civilpoliticsradio, and you can find us on Twitter at civilpoliticsfm. Our show today centers around capitalism, wages, the gig economy, and more, with special guest, local entrepreneur, and former manager of Modern Myths, Melissa Lewis Gentry. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties, and the first five minutes did not record. Please enjoy Civil Politics. Well, leave. And Melissa is the person who took over for me. And, uh... Manager extraordinaire. I think Melissa, on the whole, did a very good job. <laughs> um, but, the, uh, and it, I don't think we can blame Melissa for the fact that we recently had to close the store. Um, there were... Absentee management, I think. I, <laughs> the, the, the ownership was a huge problem. But, um, but part of that has to do with the peculiarities of the games and comics business, which I care about, but really aren't... Not I'm, a level playing field. I'm, I'm not guess. sure are entirely germane to civil politics. But it also, there were whole questions about cost structure and whatnot. And so I've long been sort of thinking that it would be good to have uh, Melissa, who, who knows a lot more about, like, hiring people and wages and how a business runs and cost control. And also, I mean, you've worked in commercial banking. You've, you've had a lot of relevant job experience, which I don't remember, but I'm going to let you tell us. Um, if, you know, if you want to name a few highlights. So anyway, um, I asked you to come in because I've been wanting to talk for a while about how we deal with uh, uh, our, how our nation distributes the wealth. Because, you know, it's not really distributed well. <laughs> that. That certainly, uh, that is the case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, hi, I'm Melissa Lewis Gentry. Uh, I do freelance um, uh, business consulting. Uh, I primarily work in the games uh, industry where I help small businesses uh, actually have a business and not just be a conglomeration of artists who don't know how to pay their bills. Um, uh, we resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, oh, thank you. I get headphones. Sorry. This is all fancy. Yeah. Um, so, I just did that for the intro. Uh, That's why yeah. I had those on. Sorry, I don't usually wear them. So. Yeah. Um, I warm them up for you, Melissa. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, uh, as Michael had said, uh, I was the uh, business manager for Modern Myths, and uh, I helped make the decision to actually close the business. And one of the reasons were we realized that we could not responsibly pay wages with increasing minimum wage to our employees um, within a two-year period. Yeah. That our, you know, our financial analysis of the kind of income that we were making, even if we had reasonable growth, would not match reasonable wages for our employees. Um, and it was something where in order to hit the, oh, sorry. No, no. I just, I, I want to jump in. There was another factor which got put on hold, but was the Obama administration towards the end had put in changes about what counted as a salaried employee and the hours they had to work and what you had to pay them and so forth. I don't remember the exact, the exact numbers, but like it basically, uh, it, it meant that um, in order to pay you properly for the work you were doing was also mean we'd have to pay you a lot more than we already were. And frankly, we were underpaying you. Well, so but I mean that, that, ca- that became less of an issue because the Trump administration said, we don't need fairer, fairer salaries for people. But anyway, please continue because so, it's, it's connected. So while that federal mandate didn't come down, it did come down on a state level in New York. Um, and what, um, what Michael's talking about here is the 
Oh, now I forgot my notes, but um, <laughs> <laughs> they're they're in the other room. But uh, there is a uh, for the um, for the division of labor, they were put down a um, basically in order to be have uh, be exempt from overtime as a salaried employee, you had to have fifty five thousand. Like something like 571 that. or it was a very it was north strange of number it was north number. of 50 yeah. grand which yeah. Is, yeah um and so uh and <laughs> i don't know if you knew but a retail store manager does not make fifty thousand dollars on average in this country i think the national average is something like thirty four thousand. um uh and so this uh this law was going to mean basically across the country for not just small independent retail, but for all like big box retail, they couldn't afford their management because they couldn't give them a $20,000 raise. So that they wouldn't have to pay them overtime. Right. And so they would have to start paying them overtime, which would have been a $20,000 would have been a $20,000 raise. Um, And so um, unsurprisingly that that law got quashed um, because Really, it would have. I, I'm assuming the amount of lobbying that happened behind the scenes was in, immense because it would have destroyed um, retail as we know it, um, which still makes up a significant amount of commerce in this country and a, a significant amount of employment. Yeah. But, like, I am all for that law as a human being um, because I think that overtime laws is one of the tricky ways that we abuse people in this country. Um, because while, you know, white collar jobs kind of right now, the laws are beneficial to white collar jobs. I mean, mostly restaurant and restaurant workers are exempt from overtime. Yep. Farm workers are exempt from overtime. Overtime is only a small class of people anyway. Yeah. Um, I can't think as a young person, the number of times that, I'd be working my tail off, start to make a little bit too much money because of all the overtime, mm-hmm. and they say, "Would you like to? Would you like to be in charge of the group?" <laughs> and you yeah. go, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! yeah. yeah. I do great promotion, love that. You know, yeah. put it right on my resume." And then you do the math after about a year, and you're like, "Oh my God, I got a huge cut in pay. I'm here day and night, mm-hmm. and that's the deal." Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, that was like when I was at um, was working at Modern Myths. I calculated. If I was making an hourly wage and got overtime, what my hourly wage would be, and it was something like $8.25 an hour, which is above the federal minimum wage. True. Um, but you don't usually think of that as a business manager. Yeah. Um, Indeed. So. Which is, so I got paid less than we paid you. Yeah. But I was an owner operator of the business. Mm-hmm. And so there's a certain amount of like, yeah, it's fine. You know, when the business makes a profit, I get some of that trickles into my bank account. And I, owner's equity. Yeah. Own, owner's equity. Like when we cashed out the business, I get a piece of that pie. So like, I, and and also, you know, like I, I, I had some useful skills, but I did not have Melissa's extensive background in business experience. I haven't worked at, worked in a bank, for example, um, at least not in any significant way. So all of which is to say, like, I got paid less and that was fine. But like, uh, uh, crap, I forgot the point I was trying to make. 
Well, what's going to... Oh, man, I hate it. I'm already becoming senile. <laughs> well, and part Sorry. of it, you guys, it's very interesting because you're talking about the principle of it. You know, having been in a small business environment oh, and yeah, the yeah. principle versus the actual day-to-day and what actually happens. Yeah. I, well, it's one thing to make a choice to be like, I'm going to be underpaid here, but it's my business Yeah. versus like, it's not your business, you know, which is the kind of situation you were in. You know... Which is, one re- again, one reason why I think it closed. So, like, we're talking about minimum wage, and I'm sure every what what is on everyone's mind is what Amazon just announced with yeah. the raising of minimum wage. Because Massachusetts right now is 11, but that's very high, and it's going up to 12 next year, yeah. I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going up to 12 next year. Um, uh, Seattle had already raised their minimum wage to 15 dollars an hour in this city, but not the whole state. Not the whole state, mm-hmm. and which is an interesting. Yeah, that's see, that's the part where, as a Republican, I have a lot of trouble with. Being able to judge what's the right minimum wage, like Western Mass is so underpaid compared to Boston, and yet you know a lot of the demands of the jobs are similar, and it's and it's very hard for government, from my perspective as a Republican, for the government to really set what that should be and keep up with it. Hmm. I mean that's the you know it's sort of like the post office trying to change its postage every five years, and they never go to a round number. You know they're always well, going to a, a kind plus of reasonable way to look looking at it is that a minimum wage supposed to be if you're working 40 hours a week on that wage you should be able to afford like to live rent and food you know your your basic expenses clothing and And if you consider that rent or housing is supposed to be 20 percent of your income oh i thought it was 30 20 20 well it used to be 20 now it's like 50 percent well it is yeah (laughs) but but even if you call it 30 right um that starts to give you numbers because you can look at a housing market and be like, ah, okay. Cost of living is really high here. Cost of or living it's... is high here. So yeah. um, for the average uh, housing, I think it's $1,200 a month, whether it's mortgage or rent around here. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it's right around 1200 Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so... For one bedroom, one for, bath. I think that's for a, two, a one plus or for a, a standard two person. Two person. Also. Yeah, and it also depends on where you're living and, and so forth. You know, the, there, there's, you know, it fluctuates, but on an average for Western Mass. Happy, type. Happy Valley. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and like where, you know, a, 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 a closet studio in Northampton can be $1,600 a month now, but, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you can get a two bedroom in Holyoke for, you know, a thousand. So it can change, but it's, I, from and what, it should change. It should be different, right? Housing should be, cost should be different whether you live in a really well, nice it, section of the town or it's yeah, the reality that three it does story, regardless. Three so, story yeah. walk up. I mean, those things, I mean, I'm just trying to bring the market into it a little bit just to to say, well, you know, things do, they do get priced at what the market will bear. Right. And so let's say, so if that $1,200 a month, um, let's say that it is 30%, let's say we'll go with 30%. That means that- I'm showing mi- my age with that one. Yeah. So. Um, minimum wage should be around $3,600, $3,800 a month, right? Uh, and if anyone else is doing the math with me- that's like what nineteen fifty an hour, almost twenty okay. bucks an hour. Yeah, sure, that sounds about right. Right. Yeah, I mean, anywhere in Massachusetts, you should be making at least twenty dollars an hour in order to have a living wage. Right. And that's just the idea—a basic, bare minimum that you might be able to start putting money in a savings account, maybe. And again, that's presuming that you're paying for all your pr- principal expenses 
out of your own pocket. Like if you're getting, you know, if you were getting subsidized transportation through public transport or whatever, and it didn't cost you a dime to ride the subway and you could go anywhere with that, for example, that would be, oh, well, that saves you money on cars or, you yeah. know, if the state provides health insurance or whatever. I mean, like there's a few different ways to, to look at that, but still. Exactly. But none there, I have not seen anyone be able to do the math that says that ni- uh, the $11 an hour can actually reasonably pay for housing. Yeah. No. It, do- it doesn't pay for housing. It like doesn't. Not, uh, it, it's, it's what something in something like with an $11 an hour, if you're only working 40 hours a week, it's something like 60% of your income. That's why I was working three jobs. God forbid you. Have, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, and, and God forbid you have kids. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and that and that's the idea was when um w- when the idea of minimum wage came about, the idea was that it was to take care of a family, mm-hmm. right? That this is the minimal wage one for- one wage earner. Yeah, mm-hmm. one wage earner. And See, when women went into the job market, that just ruined everything. <laughs> um, I don't one hundred percent. They're giving me googly eyes here in the studio. So. Disagree with you. Um, uh, in that I am glad that women entered the workforce me too but it would have been nice if there was equity in all aspects of life and women weren't expected to enter the workforce and stay home and do all the emotional care and do all the cleaning well uh, and also earn less than men for the same yeah. exact job yeah that, that i mean you know that would be nice so there are a few extra hurdles to cut to clear <laughs> but i i just on top of all that um uh if you go back to the, that crazy pinko lefty Dwight Eisenhower, <laughs> one of the things that got suggested. Under I the, remember I like Ike. That's yeah, how old I am. My dad so. too. <laughs> yeah. But so, so Dwight Eisenhower, one of the things that was explored under his his presidency, if I recall correctly, was like the idea of like federally subsidized childcare. So yeah. like, oh yeah, you know, if like you're a single parent or like both parents are working, somebody needs to take care of the kids. You know, like that's that's a thing. Like that's an important. Benefit. I mean, part of the logic, you know, and you can certainly, certainly we can criticize the patriarchal social structure behind it, but the idea of like, well, I, the dude, will go off and work, work my job, and I will do that, and I will come home to the wife who has been taking care of the kids and making the supper. It's like, okay, but childcare is really important. Somebody's got to do that, yeah. you know, and it really is a full time job. So if you're going to have both adults working, who's looking after the kids? That's the question of the century. Right. right <laughs> and what I wonder about, because I'm getting a little older, is who's going to take care of all of us who are getting frail and elderly and, yeah, and all that process? Because here, out here in Western Mass, there's not that much depth. There's some services. But, you know, how you finance yeah. that and how you fund that is a really important well, social question. Well, I know I'm an atheist, but I'm hoping for the rapture. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting on my rooftop with a little hat on. In a basket. <laughs> oh, what is it? I th- I think I read. Um, I was reading on um, Pew Research um, about uh, the statistics of the workforce. In that, um, right now, millennials, quote unquote, take up thirty five percent of the workforce because millennials are people aged between twenty one and thirty eight right now. Um, that's the millennial generation. We're about thirty five percent. I'm I'm firmly in the high end of that one. <laughs> yeah. um, um, and um, uh, Gen Xers uh, are, and that's like about 53 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, and or would you fi- say the percent was on that? It's, it's supposed to be like 36, 35, 36. I have it written down in my bag in the other room. Gen Xers are older people like me. 
Yeah, Gen Xers are, um, you know, the the generation between baby boomers, who everyone pays attention to, and millennials, which everyone raises their fist at. Um, and Gen Xers are just been quietly, you know, um, uh, ignored, uh, generally ignored. Nothing to see here. Just ignore us while we make our fortunes. But and like, <laughs> we've given into despair for our failures and apathy. Right. Um, and baby boomers. I'm busy are... blaming baby boomers for ruining our country. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's yeah, you're not wrong. I'm. So so sorry. <laughs> um, I'm so but sorry, if, but I've heard the next generation is actually there's more people than boomers. That that there's a there's a population bubble that in fact exceeds the boomers, which I was surprised by, but I've been seeing that recently yeah. in the statistics. Um, millennials definitely exceed the boomers. Yeah. Uh, and right now, um, for the workforce, um, there's 56 million uh, millennials and 43 million baby boomers in the workforce right now. So, um, but it's also estimated that. Um, by 2025, millennials will be 85% of the workforce at that point. Hmm. Um, That's unless we hold on to our three part-time jobs that we have as Well, yeah. I mean, boomers. who can afford to retire now? I can't. Um, I can't. And a lot of my jobs have been at minimum wage. So, Well, and, and you talking about multiple jobs is kind of going into something else what I wanted to bring up, which is that the kind of the gig economy right now is that yeah. we talk about these minimum wages, but more often than not, people aren't kind of subject to a wage economy as they're doing gig economies because uh and so like like uber and lyft and it's something like no pension no benefits no health care you're on your own thank god for obamacare you're, right romney care you're an employee in all but name right and yeah. so it's something like six sixteen point nine million people are are doing um uh whether it's independent contracting or uh, temporary work or other gig economy. Uh, there's, a, you know, a bunch of different ways that you can, you know, structure that. But you're not technically self you're technically self-employed, but you don't run a company. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm I'm moving away from the mic. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, all of this gig economy, what every every I read, uh, and I didn't bring my links with me, but I read a great article on Forbes is that. Um, the vast majority of people who are structuring out their pricing don't structure out um, pricing if you were running a business. So they might be like, wow, I'm making 25 bucks an hour doing this. That's great. But they forgot the 12.23 self-employment tax and then their half of the self-employment tax and the workers' comp that yeah. isn't paid. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And what about structuring in if they're doing driving like... Car repairs, gas, mm -hmm. um, and it's something like they saving for retirement. <laughs> yeah, was yeah. it fifty three or fifty four cents a mile now? The IRS allows you fifty well? something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was fifty two a couple years ago, so fifty four would make sense. Now. And you know, I, I followed a little bit, and it went up to above fifty five, mm -hmm. and then it came down. <laughs> and I don't know why it came down. Maybe oil, uh, gas, gas price. Gas price gas. Yeah, I was like, it can't go down. They keep giving me less for mileage this year than they did last year, but. Well, when it the is price the of IRS. oil and thus the cost of gasoline drops in half, it does. Yeah, but the price of cars has gone through the roof. Yeah. So so my point is when um, big companies like Amazon do these $15 an hour, which, mind you, is $15 an hour, but then cut their benefits. Right. Right. So that... that um, I missed that part of the news release. Oh, yeah. They, oh, yeah. they didn't announce that for a couple of days. It's like, oh, we're doing $15 an hour. Oh, but remo we're removing your shares in the company. You're not getting stock payout anymore. 
and you're not getting your monthly bonuses. So many of the people are actually getting less. They, they claim that on average, everyone's getting more. The people that weren't performing and getting their bonuses are getting more, right? Yeah. Um, Can you hear the republicanism in that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah, the hustle. People used to get bonuses, I guess, right? But yeah. the other thing is, um, what they don't talk about is that, like, the janitors at Amazon are contract employees. Right. Oh, they're hired by somebody else, so they don't work for Amazon. Right, so they're not getting raises. Yeah, right? and that's that's a huge issue. Uh, that's a big issue that is kind of uh, corollary to the gig economy, yeah. which is that a lot of companies have fired all of their workers and then rehired them all under a management company. I've done that. And then suddenly you're making less than you were before with no benefits. And but because that's your job, you have to keep that job. And I know people who have had that happen to Food them. Service, janitorial, custodial, yeah. environmental, all maintenance, all security. all parts of the of the workforce. Security, yep, all those places. White collar stuff too. Yeah. yeah. Not just blue collar. Yeah. And you know, again, part of the thing with that with the gig economy is, you know, you're only making enough to survive. You're not making enough to save for taxes at the end of the year and things like that. And so you're getting behind every single year, no matter what you do, because you owe the government money. You don't have any retirement. You don't have any ability that if anything happens to you, you don't have any savings. And so it's a huge, huge, huge problem in this country that people aren't talking about because they don't realize that the robber barons are robbing us blind. Well, there's this this stigma in that, oh, you know, I'm making a decent wage. I'm making 40,000. Heck, household-wise, you could be making over you could be making over six figures. You can easily be making over six figures bringing home into a household more than $100,000 and not have a savings account. That's yeah. actually true for a friend of mine who lives in Columbus I was mentioning. Yeah. Um, but you know, with three kids, one of whom's just started college and the other two are getting ready and like they're scrambling. Well, and, yeah. and 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 a husband with you know disabilities from his military service, you know, um, like a hundred k was like uh, wait, uh, oh, you know, because yeah. like food budget, and they're living in a in a nice neighborhood, so there's higher property costs and things like that, you know, right? Because they, they moved to a good neighborhood, so good wa- schools. So I want to explain why an organization might do that. Actually, in the eighties, can we? Can I we did a lot of that work. So when we come back, put a pin in that because yep. we should play some PSAs, promos, station IDs. Get the bad phone calls over with now, right? Uh, right, exactly. No, there are phone calls. No, <laughs> <laughs> our guest has just decided to go out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but we need to satisfy the uh, uh, FCC. Okay. So we're gonna be back in just a couple of minutes with more civil politics here on Valley Free Radio. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Sundays at 10 a.m., WXOJ's radio show, Occupy the Airwaves, has the latest news from the occupation movement, locally, regionally, nationally, and around the planet. Tune in at 103.3 FM or webcasting at www.valleyfreeradio.org. Blogging at occupytheairwaves.wordpress.com. Listeners can call into the show at 413-585-1033. Hey, this is Wendy, host of Valley Free Radio's subculture music program featuring new wave, 
post-punk, indie, and electronic music from the 70s to today. Join me every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. here on WXOJ or stream it live from your favorite listening device at valleyfreeradio.org. The Forbes Library staff would like to remind you of the incredible resource that you have in your local public library. We have tens of thousands of books for you to check out, music CDs, movies, newspapers from around the region, the state, and the country. We have a wide variety of magazines and free computer and internet access every day. We also have our incredible reference services there to help you answer particularly vexing problems. All of this is free, locally available at 20 West Street in Northampton. So come by and check us out in person or at www.forbeslibrary.org or call 587-1011 for more information. And we're back with Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm Michael Dow. Uh, I'm with uh, Stacey Cooney and uh, Sue Timberlake and special guest Melissa Lewis-Gentry tonight. We're talking about uh, politics of wages and employment and uh, the way the wealth doesn't get spread around the way it should if America was working as well as we want it to. Um, I should just mention, because uh, I don't know if you, you mentioned at the top of the show, we do love to hear from you. You can reach us at civilpoliticsradio at valleyfreeradio.org, uh, at civilpoliticsfm on Twitter, and facebook.com slash civilpoliticsradio is our Facebook community. Also, our website is civilpoliticsradio.com. That's got uh, links to previous episodes of the show, special supplemental episodes we've done, and other goodies. Uh, and we replay on Monday. I forgot to mention that at four. Yes, we do encore performance Mondays at four in the afternoon. Valley Free Radio. At, at least until we find Valley Free Radio sends something better to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I, anyway. Yeah. I think they like us. I don't know. Maybe yep. not. <laughs> Let's hope. After tonight, when I tell you what I'm going to say about businesses, that you know, that yes. might be the end of at least my role in the show. <laughs> so so tell us about your career of evil. Yeah. yeah. Evil. Vulture, in the 80s. Vulture, vulture capitalism. A lot of the jobs I had were organizations that were broken and were going to go out, even though they had great missions. And so I would do things like bring in a housekeeping service and outsource the whole department mm -hmm. and save tons of money on the benefits and get people that ran around and cleaned faster and, you know, were inspired and got bonuses and mm -hmm. sort of in a different structure than, you know, sort of quasi-public organizations like municipalities and hospitals and places like that. And a lot of the outsourcing companies would say, you know, this is better for Joe because Joe wants to be in food services. And if he stays in your organization, he can only go where he is already. But if he comes to work for us, Sodexo or Siler or Marriott, they've got this great career path. They can be running you know, a four-star Michelin restaurant in France. And so there's sort of all this stuff around getting things efficient, getting people where they belong. And I have to say, we saved a few organizations. Now, I'm imagining that you guys are going to say they shouldn't have been saved. But if you don't have any margin, this is the Sisters of Mercy said this, no margin, no mission. Yeah. And so a lot of organizations are really quite inefficient and set in their ways. And so people who believe in business and the free market, you know, 
that's what we do. We do things like that, and we try and clean up an organization so they continue to function and be uh, responsive to whoever it's serving. And that, but you know, some of the things you talked about in the comic book industry, they're they're um, they're obstacles that the retail business can't overcome, really. Well, and and business and the business environment does change, and a business model that worked fine in two thousand and three doesn't necessarily work so well in 2018. So, so I'm going to be super impo- uh, like super unpopular and totally <laughs> That's what we do here but in a nice way. Yeah, but totally like counter to what anyone would ever expect from me, but I really feel like that diversity in the market is destroying the market. Um I, don't I mean understand. competition breaks out and it ruins everybody cuz the price is the lowest common denominator. Not just that, but um so right now uh, with the advent of technology, right now, who can be a creator and sell things on the market on an international scope is literally anyone. Literally anyone and everyone. You mean not just like in terms of like board games, but in terms of anything? Anything. Um, you know, we I, now obviously my scope of experience has mostly been in the games industry, but it's really applicable across the board. But w- between eBay and basically how easy it is to make a word site press with a Shopify and being able to sell your products or putting them up on Amazon or SD, right? They're they're mm-hmm. right now. Um, the market is glutted with similar products regardless of what uh, consumer base. And this is for if we're looking in economies of physical products. Um, Software is starting to get there too, um, but it's just not quite there yet. But what we're looking at is an economy that has... um, uh, So I'm going to focus on the games industry because I know it best, but it was something where um, for new game products, for the hobby niche market that would come out a year, there was usually about 800 to 1,000. Mm-hmm. new products and a small independent store would bring in uh somewhere between 300 and 600 new products so probably not all of them but a good chunk of the new products that came in and that's where you would go to see it yeah and you would go and, and this is very similar um uh, independent bookstores had a very mm-hmm. similar market for uh, books that were coming out um well let me just uh when it comes to games when you say new products um that can include like, hey, so here's the latest expansion for Magic the Gathering. You already play Magic, but here's new stuff for it. Or yes. here's here's us here's you know like, oh, you like the Call of Cthulhu board game? Here's a new expansion, the Dunwich Horror, which you add to the game you already have. It's not just brand new games, right. but there were still plenty of those, right? And, and and how many different railroad games do you need? I need many different railroad <laughs> games, Michael. Um, but sorry. <laughs> so to give you an example, in 2017. 8,000 new SKUs. So going from like 800, 8,000. That's that's individual that's, things yeah. you can order. Order An order of magnitude more, and there's not enough shelf space nope. to actually accommodate. But, you know, um, uh, you know, retailers are trying to accommodate with this cult of the new. Everyone wants the newest product. It's, it's a consumer mentality in the U.S. Um, and they're trying to, they're turning over, they're churning their products. And what's happening is that even the people who are making good quality products that have been companies that have been making stuff for 30 years and they have great stuff, their products, instead of having a shelf life Hmm. of a year, they have a shelf life of six weeks, right? And everyone's, um, you know, if, if it used to be, 
you know, if for not mass market, but for hobby retail, you had you could order 6,000 units of a product and reasonably sell that over the course of a year or two. And now you make 2,500 2500 units of a product and that's it. That's all you can sell. Because it's turned already, it's right. turned obsolete or there's something new. Is right. that it? There's something, it's being replaced. Yes. And so um, this churn of the market in a very, very fast way has been going on in retail, which means that companies are not getting the same amount of profits. Because it, it, when you first make a product, your your manufacturing margin, margin is, 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 well, it's when it first comes out, it's very low. But then as you continue to repeat, your margin gets higher and you're able to make the next thing. The game design and hiring the artist and having the molds made is where most of the upfront yeah. costs are. Right. Um, it's um, like reprinting. It's like even in, in book trade, you know, yes. it's like the first edition of Harry Potter and the Eats Pie is the most expensive one and the 20th is super cheap for them. Exactly. And, it's not getting to the 20th anymore. And Texas Instrument innovated in that they would price all the way down the cost curve. Mm -hmm. So they'd come out with a new calculator, but the first units they sold, they'd lose money on because they assumed they're going to sell 100000 Right. So they didn't start out high like Apple does. They actually would price way down the cost curve. It was a very interesting thing because people would actually buy their products because it was the new thing and mm -hmm. it was actually cheaper than the existing thing. Right. Hmm. And they would sell, you know, gazillion versions of it. I assume not anymore then. Not anymore. And, and I mean, if you think about a company like Texas Instruments, they still make stuff, but your iPhone has generally replaced it. Oh, yeah. But now smartphones, think about how the smartphone, like within six months, a new edition has come out for a smartphone, um, which is, um, in essence, to like dealing with the competition of diversity of product. Um, and so I think that, on the one hand, as a human being, that the fact that people are empowered with knowledge, with ability, with voices, being able to get their products into the market is wonderful, but it is destroying the market, right? It there's is no stability. There's no stability. There's no margin. There's no margin. There's, there's no long term. And so because of that, companies are panicking and have to cut their bottom line. And what do they do when they cut their bottom line? People. They have to hire. They have to hire freelancers. It's like, okay, oh my gosh, cleaning is a luxury. I wish we had a full time cleaner. We can't do it. Okay, um, HR is a luxury. I wish we had a full time HR person. I guess we'll just outsource to ADP. And w I got this. Like, it. There are the business know, isn't an integral thing anymore. Then it's a yeah. it's, it's a very narrow slice of something, whatever the expertise yeah. is. And you can see it with, like, um, in the video game industry, like, Telltale Studios just shut down and fired 250 people. Right. Um, and they had, like, lucrative franchises like The Walking Dead, which is pretty popular. <laughs> but the problem was is that they signed up for so many franchises and pumping them out at a rate that they could not keep up with. Yeah. Um, so they were they had all of these upfront costs in... Um, trying to get things done in a short period of time so they would hire more people, their wages got out of control, and their sales weren't commensurate because they were they had a big hit, but not everything is going to be that big hit. Um, and then they didn't have any tail. They didn't have any tail on their sales. Nothing. Yeah. There's no tails anymore either. Yeah, yeah. tails are going away. It's not all industries, but the entertainment industry is very heavily impacted by this. Right. Um, and by, by tail, you mean like if you look at like the sales curve, there's like, look at books. It's like, oh, Harry Potter, that has a huge, huge thing. The, be, the best the sellers. Cycle but is, then there, yeah. well, not just the life cycle of that. I mean, that certainly matters. Like, yeah. will people still be buying Harry Potter 20 years from now? Sure. But will they be buying 
I don't know. Sets, repackaged sets. For well, maybe, but like, like <laughs> there's a lot. Commemorative. Uh, like there, yeah. there are dozens of other young adult fantasy series in the style of Harry Potter. How many of them will be selling anything like the numbers they might be selling today in 20 years? Almost certainly none. The, Very few. The fact so of the matter is, is six months. Yeah. And yeah. also there's the question of like in terms of new sales, there's like, well, a new Harry, a new J.K. Rowling book comes out, the author of Harry Potter, and it sells a million copies or whatever. You know, I put out a new book, say, which, you know, would take too much work. But I mean, <laughs> but I put out a new book and it sells 20,000 copies. Is that worth it to the publisher? Is that worth it to the bookstores That's to get That's why in? the e-publishing is, is taking off. Right. But yeah. I mean, like in a different kind of market, it's like, well, you know, like the stuff that's like, eh, it's a bit nichier, but sure, it's worth it. Because, you know, like we'll have it on the shelf and people will sell it. And, you know. I, I worry just as a person, I worry about the the lack of diversity. Like I'm starting to see a lot of things you can't get anymore. Things that, um, well, I'll give you one. You guys will laugh at me, but I was looking for carbon paper the other day. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't get it anywhere. Yeah. But just the funky little things that don't sell and the bricks and mortar store can't keep them. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Walmarts, the Staples, all those guys won't carry any of the niche sta- you know, sta- yeah. uh, stationary supplies. And so you see it in parts, car parts. You know, I see it in a lot of the different industries that I touch on in that you can't get. There's like all sorts of things that are becoming scarce and unobtainable. So I uh, had... Uh, back when the Modern Myth store was was open, I had the fan, the ceiling light fan, and the bathroom go out. And uh, let me tell you, that needed to be replaced right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I called a local electrician, and I was like, "Hey, this is the model." I you know texted a picture of, yeah. of the model number. Put and, a new you, motor in. Yeah, something. yeah. And he goes, "All right, you're gonna want to go on Amazon and order the new the new motor." And I'm like, "I, um, no." <laughs> I, I really don't. I don't <laughs> like Amazon. Uh, I make it a point not to give them money. Um, and he's like, yeah. I'm like, is there, I don't mind paying a little bit more. Is there a local guy? Is there an electrical company here that yeah. has electric And he motors? goes, no. Yeah. He's like, it's all gone. I can't get it. Um, the way I can order all of my parts is through Amazon. There is nowhere left to get it anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Right? Um, and when that particular source decides not to sell it anymore because there's no margin, you're done. Yeah. You, bu- right. you have to buy a new fan. Well, that's what we were talking about at the very beginning before you guys got here was the idea that monopolies, where you have these giant corporations who are in charge of these things, they've squeezed out all of those niche uh, businesses just from the start before you even start talking about the fact that the internet has destroyed a lot of bricks and mortars just just literally having all of these monopolies kills competition in such a way that you know independent booksellers were destroyed by large booksellers before the destruction began before you know you could order anything under the sun from amazon yeah because it was the big um Barnes and Noble and Walden Books. Was yeah. it Stone something Stone? It was Borders. Boston, Borders. Borders and, yeah. yeah, beautiful. Waterstone. Be- Waterstone. Yeah, what I was going to say that's a British company, but yeah. Yeah, it was beautiful. And yeah, they put they, the bookstore in, yeah, and it wiped out beautiful. three in Cambridge, three bookstores in Cambridge. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm not a hundred percent against bigger companies doing things because I, I believe that collaborating can be really great. Uh, and that there, with more manpower and more money, you can do really unique and amazing things. 
Uh, however, um, uh, we seem to have gone to the nth degree. Yeah, I, the, we've, we're talking about mega corporations yeah. when I'm yeah when I'm referencing that. Yeah, um, but it's like because right now there's nothing in between. There's little tiny independent bookstores, people who are making, um, you know, barely enough money for one person to live on, uh, and then megacorps. And like, you know, ostensibly there should be something in between those things and that there should be like a, you know, a, you know, a gradient here. Um, but there's not. Nothing a good meteor wouldn't fix. The middle class is gone. <laughs> is that what happened to all the dinosaurs and the mammals? And yeah. It was just I don't, the little mammals that I don't think it? we did that to the robber barons, though. Like, I think no. there are other options. They like, broke, yeah, they broke them up. Yeah. Them up. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, um, at this point, there has been... S- I don't have faith that we're going to break up our monopolies anymore. I don't. I no. have all my friends. That the Sherman like Antitrust Act is, is dead. Watches, the crystals for watches, like yeah. they have a stash of them. And I have other friends that have stashes of mm-hmm. strange spark plugs. And I have other friends that can work on electric motors. Yeah. And, and it's almost like this is it. You know, they're in their 80s. They're, they're going to be gone soon. And then, you know, and their stuff will be thrown in the dump probably when they... Yeah. move on or you know be in an antique store somewhere and nobody will know what it is because it's you know, got a funny little crank or something but that diversity of the ability to take out an electric motor and well, and repair it or to, to buy a replacement motor that fits it well specifically companies design products now so that the average person cannot repair it exactly you know that like so take i just got a new car and i know quite a bit about cars and it is completely sealed the engine i can't get to the engine without specialized tools or literally cracking a plastic cap and that's what the mechanics do they have spare all the spare plastic snaps because Mm -hmm. they break when you take they literally shatter the car to take it to to repair it um and and so same same thing with if you look at uh, new phones, you can't even replace the battery anymore. They've removed the ability to open it for the battery. Um, sorry, well, that's a completely... Or, or, or if you want to take it into the shop. I replaced the battery on my iPhone, but also, like, my phone is five years old, and it's just... Things have changed in five years. If you got one today, you can't take the battery out. You should I'm not see surprised. Me. I couldn't take the old one out, but mm-hmm. the, uh, the guys at the Apple store could. Yeah. My flip phone is 10 years old, and I just replaced it with one that's the same model from 10 years ago. So... <laughs> But yeah, you we'll can see how much longer you can even place <laughs> yeah. phone calls on not, that. Not much. And you know, we didn't just to mention to our viewers, we didn't talk about Kavanaugh. We're going to talk about it next week after oh. the vote on Saturday. So it's uh, in the forefront uh, of all our minds, but we are not talking about it tonight. As it I also out, specifically so. requested that we did not <laughs> talk about it. La 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 la. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I. The big elephant in the room that we're not talking about. So Civil politics means, among other things, Michael doesn't swear into the microphone at length. Yeah. Um, which would be good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so instead we talked about wages and economy. And yeah. Well, I'd love to hear more about from you guys about this, but uh, we are actually at the end of our time. We've got to vacate the studio so uh, they can get ready for the next show. So, wow. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. Thanks for letting me ramble. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was interesting. Okay. So um, that's all tonight for Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. Coming up next, we have Subculture, a great mix of indie, electronica, post-punk, and other cool alternative stuff, uh, followed by Table of Contents at 10 o'clock, uh, and then OK Asia with all the co- cool pop music from 
well, Asia, <laughs> and that goes until two p.m. or two a.m. Wherever that rather. is, yeah, yeah. Asia again. <laughs> it, it's it's north of thingy, and um, uh, and we have an encore presentation of drum and bass with DJ Fife from two a.m. to four a.m. So if you can't sleep, there's a lot of good music to help you help you uh, pass the time. Uh, we also uh, will be uploading a podcast of this show to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, etc., etc., ad nauseam. Uh, that's usually done on Sunday, so you can listen to us endlessly on your various streaming devices. And uh, once again, we do have an encore presentation of this coming up next Monday at 4 p.m. Uh, oh, and I should also mention we are going to do an election night special teaming up with Occupy the Airwaves. November 6th. That'll be on November 6th, uh, which is, of course, you know, election night. Is it at 9? I think we're going to start at 9. I think we're going to start at 9 p.m. Also, last chance to register to vote here in Massachusetts is Wednesday, October 17th. So get out, the, uh, get out there and register if you haven't already. It's an important election. All right, well, that's all for Civil Politics tonight here on Valley Free Radio. Thanks for listening. Good night. This show is part of the Planetside Productions Network. For more information, please visit www.planetside.pro. And thank you for listening.